Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hola, Consuelo. <laughs> is Cons- Why do I think, what's Consuelo? Oh, it beats the hell out of me. I know Consuela was a maid in yeah. some show, I and know. I think it's a Spanish name. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. If I just, if I just insulted Mike, eh, all over it. Oh, well, fair enough. <laughs> The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque. Grab yourself a double-double and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Jump, jump, jump. I'm hungry. Oh, that's all my. I really am. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I could <laughs> use some tender vittles in my belly. Some tender vittles. Yeah. That's cat food. I'll, I'll, I'll eat it. Yeah. Yeah. So, CrimeCon in coming. May. Yeah, it's coming. Apparently, six people have used our uh, oh! Poutine 2020 so far, so that's Shit, good. That's fantastic. Uh, but people like Tyler are being told, no, they're getting their flights paid for. What? So, yeah. What? Yeah. How, how many is he I don't, I don't know. What the hell? I don't know. So, please use our code POUTINE2020 for 10% off your CrimeCon tickets. Poutine 2020. Maybe maybe they'll send us a private jet if we sell them. <laughs> I don't know. I doubt wow. it. How many do we have to sell for that? <laughs> I don't know. Many. Man. Many, many, many. Wow. Uh, this week's story is about two tragic events that took place on the southeast end of Canada's smallest province, Prince Edward Island, hmm. with 44 years in between them. Oh, crap. Okay. Yeah, so it's a long time. This is episode 112, Sins of the Father. The McGuigan murders. Oh, God. Okay, see already. What? <laughs> well, Father, see. there's going to be a priest component involved here. Nope. Oh, well, shit, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is no priest. Well, there's priests, Yeah. but they are presiding over funerals. Oh, I'm fascinated. Prince Edward Island is a tiny province. Thanks to a post by Yumbriarder Legsy Charlton, I discovered a site 
called Map Fight at mapfight.appspot.com. Have you seen it? No, but I would love to watch Maps Fight. <laughs> it's really fun. Wow. Uh, and essentially what it does is it compares the size of one place to another. Okay. So using the website, I compared the size of PEI to Canada's next smallest province, my spiritual and family home, Nova Scotia. Yeah. Nova Scotia at 55,280 square kilometers is 9.8 times larger than Prince Edward Island, which is only 5,660 square kilometers. Holy crap. Right? So it's tiny. Teensy. Teensy. And British Columbia is... 944,740 square kilometers, making it 167 times larger than PEI. And for you Americans, I did a little bit of conversion there too. Oh, no. Oh, no. Alaska is a whopping 304 times larger than PEI. Alaska is huge. Alaska is massive. Ginormous. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've noticed... In smaller provinces, we talk about the length of a drive rather than how far yeah, I, places yeah, actually yeah, we are. we do. We do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, even, I think we do that in large, like. Yeah, maybe it's a Canadian thing. I, yeah, because I know I often will. It's about an hour away. So as far as PEI goes, to drive the length of the province, not the width. The width, yeah. the, the width yeah. would probably take you 20 minutes. The length of the province, just over two hours. Okay. Yeah, see, this is like, I, I, that I understand. Yeah. That I understand, because if I'm like, if I'm going to go to Calgary, I'd be like, yeah, it's about a 10-hour drive. Exactly, exactly. For example, like we always used to say Bridgewater from Halifax was uh, an hour drive. Yeah. Rather than, it's 100 kilometers. Yeah. Because well, it, it, it varies depending on, you know, are you going by horse? <laughs> right. Uh, plane, car? Right. And so Montague, Prince Edward Island, is a little town near where much of this story takes place. Okay. And it's about a 38-minute drive. 38 minutes. From Charlotte, Charlottetown, the provincial capital. That's not far at all. Not far at all. Well, in PEI... That's far. It's far. Yeah. <laughs> According to Town of Montague, PEI, Montague's history begins with the formation of Prince Edward Island. The area around Cardigan Bay is one of the youngest on the island and is composed of Permian deposits formed 280 million years ago. Many years later, humans moved into the area, first the Paleo-Indians, then the Shellfish people, and finally the Mi'kmaq tribe, hmm. who were to exist on Abegwait, which I guess was what they called PEI, for many years before the arrival of the Europeans. Oh, now did I hear correctly? Cardigan Bay? Cardigan, yeah. Okay, so like if you were to go to said bay... You probably should there, wear a sweater. There would be just cardigans just strewn about just on the Just hanging beach. from the trees. Yeah. And mating. It, yeah. I don't know. Oh, that's a, that's a little X-rated there. <laughs> it could be. The area was first settled by Europeans in 1731 with the arrival of French fishermen who planned on selling their catches to the settlers at Fortress Louisburg... Hmm. In Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Okay. You've never been to any of these places. Nope. nope I have. Nope. Uh, yeah, it took me until like 40 to leave BC pretty much. <laughs> Montague amalgamated with other localities is now itself a town within the town of Three Rivers in 2018. That's meta. Yeah. It's the largest population center in the area with just over 1,962 people. So not a lot of people. That's the largest? Mm-hmm. All right. 
As you can gather from this, PEI is not a densely populated province uh-huh. at all. Uh-huh. Despite its tiny size, there is still a lot of land left to uh, be inhabited. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. The poet, Hugh MacDonald, hails from Montague, as did a high school chum of mine. Hugh MacDonald? No, he was not. Your chum? No. Oh. My chum was a school teacher. Oh. He's passed away, though. Oh, that just took a sad turn. Yeah. Uh, This story started at 9 o'clock in the evening on November 19th, 1970. The Vuzo family, Alfred Vuzo Sr., Ethel or Bernice Vuzo, and their children were headed home to Montague from Murray River. They were driving north along the darkened and rural commercial road in their light-colored Ford Econoline van. Mm. You remember those? I do very much. They're cool looking. Yeah. I think this one looked like it was about a 61. Okay. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. At the intersection of commercial and Greek River roads, their lives changed forever. Alfred Sr. later recalled having seen lights approaching at a high rate of speed. In the next moment, there was a tremendous crash. Glass and debris flew everywhere. A pickup truck ran the stop sign at the intersection. It plowed into the side of the van, sending it careening off to the other side of the road. Oh, shit. The crash ejected nine-year-old Kathy Vuzo through the van's windshield. She landed in the ditch nearby. Bernice and little Alfred Jr. were shaken, but mostly okay, save for some minor cuts and bruises. Alfred Sr. had sustained some serious lacerations and was stumbling about in shock. Holy shit. When first responders arrived, they found a horrific scene. Mm -hmm. Glass and metal debris lay strewn all over the road. The twisted, smoldering wrecks of two vehicles told of a horrific accident. The side door of the Vuzo family's van was caved in at least a foot from its original position. Uh, The pickup truck that had hit the van sustained a massive amount of frontal damage. We have to remember that there are such safety regulations in motor vehicles now, crumple zones yeah, and everything. there was none of that then. Back then, no. And not even seat belts. Uh, if, if 50s and 60s vehicles, a good chunk of them, no, in mm-hmm. the 60s. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, damage of motor vehicle accidents back then are substantially different than... Yes, and than this now. one was particularly sad because a doctor on scene oh, no. pronounced Kathy Wuzo dead as her family looked on, still stunned by the impact of the crash. An ambulance transported the bloodied Alfred Sr. to Kings County Memorial Hospital. Oh, God, nine-year-old. Mm-hmm. RCMP found the driver of the pickup, Herbert McGuigan, on the floor of his vehicle. RCMP Constable Robert Thorne later testified at an inquest into the incident. From an article in the National Post by Jake Edmiston, I opened the door and he asked me, had there been an accident? Constable Robert Thorne said in the inquest. There was a strong odor of alcohol and his eyes were watery and he gave me the impression that he knew little of what happened. End quote. Oh. Yep. The article also mentions that there were, quote, beer caps all around McGuigan there on the floor. Days after the crash, St. Mary's Catholic Parish held the service for Kathy Vuzo. Kathy's headstone in the Catholic Cemetery reads, Kathy M. Vuzo, November 10, 1961 to November 19, 1970, daughter of Alfred and Bernice. The inscription below her details says, Walk softly, a dream lies here. 
Oh my God. Nine is just, it's pure innocence. Mm -hmm. Nine is just pure innocence. I've driven those dark roads in PEI before, and yeah. I can see how it would be dangerous at night. I looked at Google Maps, street view of the area, and the road that Herb McGuigan came from, yep. it angles off in a way where dense trees would make it tough to see another car coming, mm. especially if you were drunk. Yeah, yeah. The Vuzos would have most likely been traveling between 60 and 80 kilometers an hour at the time when McGuigan blew the stop sign. It's not clear whether he slowed down much at all. Mr. Vuzo would have never had any time to react. Oh, my God. Oh, this is, this is a terrible, terrible it, it's event. It's a terrible event. It's weird to think about the fate of the two families, uh, it, how it came down to just seconds and inches. Yeah. yeah. A friend of mine always talks about that, seconds and inches. Perhaps if the Vuzos had passed that intersection just a few seconds earlier or later, the outcome would have been very different. I, I think that all the time with that time, that incident, an accident I had where a pedestrian was involved and if I was a millisecond later, mm -hmm. a millisecond later, that person would probably be dead. Mm -hmm. Like it's crazy how life can sometimes just come down to a millisecond. I was hoping that you would talk about that when, we, when I mentioned this. Yeah. The Crown charged Herbert McGuigan with criminal negligence causing death. He pled not guilty, triggering a trial in 1971. The grueling court case tested the endurance of the already shaken Vuzo family. During the trial, attorneys presented crash scene photos. These included photos of Kathy Vuzo's body after the crash. Oh my God. This re-traumatized the Vuzo family. No kidding. Visions of Kathy's mangled body in the ditch haunted Alfred Sr. for years after. I would hope that leading up to the trial or that day they would family would get a warning hey these are i have no idea i have would... no idea that it, whether or not people were being thoughtful like that in 1970 70, yeah it's uh it's almost well it's 50 years ago yeah oh, so jesus yeah. yeah the jury found herbert mcguigan guilty but his sentence was a slap in the face for the vuzo family oh. The judge banned McGuigan from driving for one year and sentenced him to jail for nine months. Each year of Kathy's life was only worth a single month of incarceration for Herb McGuigan. Oh, God, I, I'm so curious as to, I mean, I born in 73, but I don't have a lot of memories of 73. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to what the social view on drinking and driving was. Was it much more like, I don't want to say acceptable. I doubt that it was ever necessarily acceptable, but was it not as... The punishments weren't as harsh. Clearly. But yeah. RCMP Constable Goss was a first responder on the night of the crash and witness at the trial. Yeah. He told National Post reporter Jake Edmiston that even for the 70s, McGuigan's sentence was light. Okay. All right. That's what I was wondering. Okay. Herb McGuigan himself passed away from natural causes only five years after the crash. Mm. So... Who knows what his health was like at the mm -hmm. time, if he was an alcoholic. We don't know any of yeah. that kind of thing, yeah. but he was drinking and driving that night. Kathy's death, the trial of Herb McGuigan and its aftermath, ripped the heart out of the Vuzo family. The Vuzo stung from what felt like a serious miscarriage of justice. Yeah, I bet. Absol yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I would be just flipping tables. Yeah. The incident 
and its fallout had a serious psychological impact on Alfred Jr., even though he was only two years old at the time the accident happened. Mm -hmm. I bet. Court documents highlighted conversations Alfred Vuzo Jr. had with psychiatrist Dr. Scott Terrio. Mm. And I think we heard Scott Terrio's name in another episode that we did, one of our NCR episodes. Oh. Quote, following the accident, his father developed bouts of severe depression, which led to several admissions to the psychiatric unit at Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Vuzo reported that his mother developed, quote, bad nerves with features of depression and anxiety. He says it was not a happy home following the accident. Yeah, I bet. And that both his parents began to drink heavily and argue regularly. He says the aftermath of the accident permeated all of his family life. It, it, it'll destroy lives. We've, we talk about it all the time, how yeah. uh, it's not just uh, the one who was killed who is the victim. Mm -hmm. the, the repercussions are go deep. From Jake Edmiston's article, At School... Alfred did not make friends. He failed grade one. By junior high, he was sick of school. He failed grade eight twice and dropped out when he was 15. After that, he started drinking, using solvents, and smoking pot. But when he was 17, the marijuana had a toxic effect on him, end quote. Hmm. Alfred said he quit smoking pot after that. He went on to claim that, quote, he couldn't help thinking that it had already changed him irreparably. Hmm, I think maybe I have seen where this is going. The few friends Alfred Jr. had were getting on with their lives, getting married and having families. His seemed to be stalled, like it was in some kind of limbo. Mm -hmm. He felt like a failure. He'd lived with a woman in Halifax for a time, but that relationship soured quickly. What jobs he was able to secure were menial and didn't have much future associated with mm -hmm. them. Alfie was nursing resentful thoughts of how life could have been if Kathy had not been ripped away from their family. If drunken Herb McGuigan had not been behind the wheel that night, Kathy would still be there. The, everybody in that household, that family, would be very different. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Alfie was a loner, consumed by what if. Yeah. Her, Herb was long dead, but the surname McGuigan enraged him. Mm-hmm. A few run-ins over the years fueled his rage even further. Okay. In 1985, during a, an event at a local legion, Bernice Vuzo, Alfred's mother, approached one of Herb McGuigan's sons, Ivan, and slapped him hard across the face. She told Ivan that the slap was because of Kathy's death and that his father Herb was, quote, a monster for killing her and not taking responsibility for it. Yeah, I mean, I can't say I wouldn't want to do the same thing. This person has nothing to do with... I know, but, I, uh, you know, I envision losing a kid mm -hmm. due to... I, I don't know if I would slap them, but I could easily see myself confronting them. Ivan McGuigan didn't know what to do. He told uh, Jake Edmiston, quote, I went and danced and made nothing of it, he said. What can you do when a woman hits you? What's he supposed to do? Well, I... I... Ivan said he bore Bernice and her family no ill will, and there was no feud he was aware of between the two families. Yeah. He'd even worked with Alfred Sr. at some point, and the mm. two had gotten along. Mm. So, uh, It certainly isn't the right thing to do, to go up and smack, but I can understand. Understand it. I can understand. And if I were in Ivan's shoes, I, I would maybe have, like, instead of going to dance, I'd be like, look, let's talk. Like, I, what my father did was terrible. Yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, 
But who, maybe that maybe that's exactly what happened. Who knows? We don't know that. We don't. Ivan claimed he didn't think much of the incident after it happened, but Bernice did. She went home and told young Alfie all about how she'd had a scuffle with one of her Beguigan's sons. Mm-hmm. Fatefully, Alfred Jr. would mix the brothers up, thinking it had been Brent who had been involved in the embarrassing incident and not Ivan. Oh, okay. There was another incident in 2009 while Alfred Jr. was working at the Department of Transportation and Public Works. From court documents, quote, he explained that he was being bullied by a co-worker with the surname McGuigan and whom he believed to be a relative of Herb McGuigan's. As a result, he said he engaged in a physical confrontation with the man which resulted in disciplinary action from his employer. This incident has also been confirmed by obtaining records from the department which show that David McGuigan was suspended from work for three days with no pay. Alfred Vuzo was given a written reprimand for his actions. End quote. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, a grudge is held for sure. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, Alfred was two years old when this happened. Two years old when it happened. His memory of the event might not be as great, but his memory of the destruction of his family mm-hmm. following will be very, very embedded in him. And so I get the anger. I get the rage. Um, I don't think lashing out against people who weren't necessarily involved isn't the right way to do it. But, Especially 37 years later. But he's been living a life of flawed coping skills, mm-hmm. uh, flawed uh, habits, and clearly isn't able to manage his emotions. As his resentment seethed and grew on many occasions with his mother and his younger brother, Jeremy, Alfie talked at length about avenging his sister's death. He hated the McGuigans and wanted them to pay for Kathy's death just like his family had. And the rest of the family did not agree with him. They didn't feel that same rage that he did yeah, by this time. Yeah. The Vuzos suffered another blow on Wednesday, April 20th, 2011, when 72-year-old Alfred Sr. passed away at Kings County Memorial Hospital in Montague after a battle with cancer. Mm, they buried him in the same cemetery where Kathy lay. She would have been 50 that year. Oh, wow. So that puts a sort of a, a point on it yeah. from 9 till 50 years old. That's a long time. Oh, yes. Yeah. Can you imagine you're burying your father and you're looking at somebody's tombstone who you feel has gone unavenged for all these years? Yeah, I mean, I know where this is going and I feel so sad and torn. In 2013, Alfred Vuzo Jr. caught the attention of local police. From court documents, quote, records indicate that he had previous involvement with police in Montague on nine previous occasions, all between June 2013 and July 2014. In those instances, he was either a complainant or a witness to minor incidents such as youth misbehaving, public disturbances, and the like. It was a little odd that his name was popping up so much, though. Mm-hmm. Something seemed to be going on with him. Clearly spiraling. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like decompensating in yeah, some way. Yeah, absolutely. Now in his 40s, Alfie moved back in with his mother, Bernice, and was working as a security guard at a Montague Marina. In the summer of 2014, Alfie was unable to contain his rage and it finally boiled over. Mm-hmm. He was obsessed with making things right. At around 8 p.m. on August 20th, Alfred Givuzo Jr. left the little gray bungalow that he shared with his mother in Lower Montague. If no one else was going to give the family justice for Kathy's death, Alfred believed it was up to him. Oh, shit. 
Alfie was about to make sure that the McGuigans would share some of his family's pain. Alfie Vuzo had murder on his mind and a pistol in his hand. <sighs> and we'll take a break right here. And we're back. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm torn because he's a victim. A lot of his behavior is probably directly related to what happened in his childhood. But the way he's handling things, wanting to re-victimize or now make more victims. is unacceptable. It, it, it's unacceptable. Absolutely. He was receiving counseling for his depression, but was he being honest with oh, his... Oh, in all likelihood, yeah. no. And he was drinking and those kind of things yeah. as well, which if he had a problem with it, adds to that sort of thinking. Yeah, fuck. Around a quarter after nine on the evening of August 20th, 2014, a 911 call was placed by a distraught Marie McGuigan. Marie told dispatchers that a man had entered her home, shooting her husband and her son. Fuck. They needed help right away. At 9.16, dispatchers sent RCMP to the McGuigan's home, a brown bungalow at 11.52 Route 318 St. Mary's Road in Kings County, Prince Edward Island. Five RCMP officers had arrived at the home by 9.35. Members of the McGuigan family lived close by and arrived before police and the ambulance. Oh boy. When police entered the scene, it was chaotic. Mm -hmm. Two men lay bleeding on the floor from multiple gunshot wounds. There were shell casings strewn all about. Family members frantically tended to the injured men providing what first aid they could. Also lending a hand was a family friend who happened to be an emergency room nurse. She lived nearby. When she heard the commotion, she ran over to help. The RCMP officers lent a hand until paramedics arrived soon after. It was too late though. Marie McGuigan's husband, Brent, 68, and their son, Brendan, 39, had succumbed to their wounds. Ah, oh, Jesus. Police sat with Marie and listened to her story. From the agreed statement of facts as entered in a later court documents, quote, The father and son had been sitting talking while she was in another room. Marie McGuigan said that she heard a number of loud noises followed by a person saying words including, my sister. She went to investigate and found her husband and son on the floor. She did not see anyone but heard a vehicle leaving the area, end quote. Yeah, the, the, way to, the way to deal with pain isn't to create more pain. No. No, that's, that's absolutely not the no. right way to deal with it. Oh, Jesus. The home was locked down as a crime scene and canine units were brought in to scour the area for the gunman, the firearm used in the murders, and any other evidence. There was no sign of the person or the gun, and Marie didn't know who it was. Mm -hmm. The roadblocks set up in the area didn't provide any leads or answers either. Murder in rural PEI is rare, but a double murder is like seeing an alien riding a unicorn through town with a Santa hat on. It just doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Who on the island would have done such a thing, and better yet, why? They knew the phrase, my sister, had something to do with it, yeah. but what? Yeah. Police were... Is, I mean, it's what, 50 years? 44, 44 years. 44 years have passed, so... Yeah. Police weren't stumped for long, though. From the agreed statement of facts, quote, 
At approximately 1.30 a.m. on August 21st, members of the RCMP Major Crime Unit gathered at the Montague Detachment to be briefed and discuss the incident. Mm. At that time, a phone call was received via the RCMP dispatcher from callers Nicole Peters and her husband, Jeremy Vuzo, of Stratford, PEI. Mm -hmm. Both of them spoke with police and described to them how Alfred Vuzo, Jeremy's brother, attended their residence in Stratford around midnight. He spoke with his brother, Jeremy, and told him, quote, I did it. I got them. End quote. <sighs> Jeremy told investigators that the them... Alfred had referred to was the McGuigan yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. He said that his brother had been obsessed with getting revenge on the McGuigans for as long as he could recall. Alfred considered the 1970 crash that had killed his sister Kathy the source of their family's problems. Herb McGuigan's drunk driving had caused it and Herb had not served the proper amount of justice in his lifetime. Alfred had taken it upon himself to mete it out to the members of Herb's family 44 years later, to two men who had nothing to do with the crime. I mean, he was correct for a chunk of that. That that individual was responsible. The uh, Well, you your reaction is also, I've seen people come away much healthier from a trauma too after dealing with it properly. 100%, but the family was destroyed because of that event. Mm -hmm. I think it's pretty clear to surmise that family was destroyed because of that event. But these people, in in injustice was served. They did, he did not get what he should have got. This isn't basic math where two negatives no. make a positive. So the crash had happened so long ago yeah. that police had to check court records to verify the story yeah. because nobody who worked at the yeah. detachment remembered it. Yeah. Yeah. It was 44 years ago. It's legit a lifetime ago. Legitimate? Yeah, yeah, like a long time ago. Yeah. From the agreed statement of facts, quote, Jeremy said that Alfred described how he went into the McGuigan home and shot two men. Alfred told Jeremy that he still had firearms in his car. Alfred Vuzo left Jeremy's residence stating, I murdered two people tonight, end quote. Holy shit. He's not seeming any remorse to have any remorse here. Well, you're not probably not going to find any here. Yeah. Imagine being Jeremy and your brother. Say your Jim comes over and says, hey, Scott, I killed this dude. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you feel? Like, how do you deal with that? I feel broken. I feel Disappointed. sadness for my brother. I feel sadness for the people he's victimized. I feel disappointed. I. It's just the gap. You're... Your emotions would run the game. And when your mom, what your mom's going to feel when yeah. she finds out. Yeah, that, like, he, that he's now further broken the family. Yeah. Like, oh. And can you imagine what police were thinking at the time too? Like, holy crap. Yeah. What the heck is going on? And I'm not saying that this is okay because it's not. But had the one who killed his sister still been alive, we can, I think as humans. He probably have, would have taken have his a, revenge a minor. There minor bit of understanding of, well, I can see why you'd maybe lash out of that person, but this, this, this isn't him. No. This isn't him. These are just innocent people living their lives. Right. They might as well have had any random last name at that point. Mm -hmm. Police went to Vuzo's residence and saw that his car was home and the house was in darkness. They didn't enter right away as they had no idea if mm -hmm. he was still armed or if he would even shoot at them. For sure. Yeah. 
So a group of officers watched the house in case Vuzo tried to flee, as others planned out a high-risk arrest and set about obtaining a search warrant for the home. Mm -hmm. At 7.45 a.m., they executed their plan, demanding Vuzo exit the house. Alfred Givuzo, a man with no prior criminal record, was arrested without incident on two counts of murder. (sighs) This is just sad. At the Montague RCMP detachment, Vuzo spoke with a legal aid lawyer and then agreed to give a statement to police. The agreed statement of facts in this case outlined point by point what Alfred Givuzo Jr. related to police over the next two hours. And here are some of the highlights, mm-hmm. and we can talk about them as, mm-hmm. you, as we go along if you want. Mm-hmm. He, quote, did those fellas. He drove to the McGuigan house, parked his car on the shoulder of the road. He walked up to the house and could see two men through a window. The men were seated. The door was unlocked, thus making it an ambush, end quote. He shot the young, he walked in and pulled a twenty-two caliber pistol from his jacket pocket. He shot the younger male first, then, quote, transitioned to the older male. The younger male looked like he was trying to get up, so he shot him again, this time in the face. I'm curious if up to this, like, do, do, are they aware who he is? is they probably know who about. he is, but I, I don't think, they or probably to, don't understand what's happening. Yeah, because I'm wondering, like, to them, is it just like, who, somebody, why does somebody just bust into our, why has he got a gun, you know? Yep, that's exactly how they would have yeah. felt. During the shooting... He changed magazines to ensure he had enough ammunition left. As the men lay on the floor, he said, I did this because of my dead sister, what you did to us. Or, I did this for what your father did to my baby sister. (sighs) When he was inside the house, he heard a woman's voice and saw a glimpse of her coming into the room to see what had happened. Mm -hmm. He could have, quote, smoked her, but I didn't, end quote. Oh, how gracious of you. She didn't see him. There were no witnesses. He killed the men in order to get revenge for the death of his sister, Kathy. And he went on to talk about how she was killed when she was nine years old by drunk driver named Herb McGuigan. Mm-hmm. Herb McGuigan, uh, he was upset that Herb McGuigan had only gone to jail for a short time. And he said the incident had ruined his family and he had been suffering for 44 years. Not untrue. The way he handled things mm-hmm. and what he did is fucking disgusting and it is absolutely his accountability and it is absolutely just made a shitty situation infinitely worse. Mm. Infinitely yep. worse, but I do still have empathy for him for how okay, what was enough. done to him, yep. what was done to his family, and how that changed the course of how he copes and navigates life. Because at that age, at four, as, as I experienced, you, you're you don't know you're behaving differently anymore because that's your core. Your core yep. has changed. What how you think the world operates has changed. You, the world isn't the same anymore. And so how you move forward navigating shit is fundamentally different, but. I dealt with things really shittily when I was angry. Yeah. We, 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 I think we were both self-destructive. We were terrible to ourselves. Well, I was destructive. Well, yes, you were. Uh, but what he, how he handled this, what he's done is just, it infuriates me. Yeah. Okay. 
That's, that, that's what that's, that's what, what I wanted to that's hear. That's what makes me most frustrated is the fact that I want to empathize with him because he was victimized, but his actions remove my ability to have empathy for him. Right. Because it's it because it, it negates it. Yeah. Because because it negates um, what happened to him in his life. You just you. Exactly. Oh. This is what I was driving at. Yeah. This is a yeah. hundred. So we, we now agree. Well, typically that's what happens is people <laughs> agree. It's just how they. Uh, yeah. And uh, uh, it, how they get there. How, how they, they, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's. Oh, fuck. <sighs> yeah. Because what happened could, to him was terrible. He, could, he was two. Yeah. What it, it was terrible. Like, so that's a formative time for a young oh, child. It's the for formative a time. And then you're from that moment forward, how that family functions. And he sees mom and dad. Oh. arguing, drinking, oh. you know, fighting. Oh. Um, mom probably saying to dad things like, why didn't you turn or, oh, you know, I, just. Absolutely. And it, because that's, and then that's the pain, that's yeah. the pain that they're in, right? Yeah. Like they're not, I'm sure uh, they weren't really blaming each other for what happened, but it but was you just. But you lash out, yeah. you want to try to, you want to try to rationalize how this could have happened and you're going to try to point fingers and externalize and. But I mean, he could have also gone on to try to change legislature. Yes, exactly. to try to create some stronger policy. drunk driving laws. Exactly. That that yeah. probably would have been yeah we, an extremely we, healthy way to move forward with it. Not to invoke a past person, but uh, Christopher Ducharme, for example, who mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. uh, the son of Patty Ducharme in one of in our episodes yep. ninety three and ninety four. That's what he did yeah. to deal with his mother's murder right. was he went on and created victims advocacy exactly. stuff. So I Exactly. So that that's that's the, a healthy way to exactly. deal with it. But again, I, I keep going back to, but I do have more of an understanding for him. Let's go back 44 yeah. years, yeah, 50 yeah. years now. Yeah, yeah. I want to make it clear first that in no way I'm absolving Herb McGuigan with this conversation. Yeah. He should have been held more accountable for getting behind the wheel drunk and killing a nine-year-old girl. Yeah. However, the punishment does not quite fit the crime here, if you know what I'm saying. The question of intent does come up. Herb didn't mean to kill anybody. No. There was no intent. No. And him getting into the car, drinking and driving, you know, it was like, I remember people getting a month suspension of their driver's mm -hmm. license back mm -hmm. in that in that era. Yeah. So yeah, it yeah. wasn't a big, it wasn't as big a deal yeah. as it is today. Which is what I was getting at at that time too. I was curious as to how. And maybe he thought it's late at night. Nobody's going to be on the road. You know, like all those kind of things. He didn't ever really take responsibility for it. Yep. And he did. Which would enrage guilty. Me. Yeah. But. Oh, fuck. It's but a... the guy was, but, but the, but Alfred was too. Yeah. He can't, he, how, he doesn't even understand what guilty, not guilty means at that time. But he's going to process uh, loss. Mm. He's going to process loss. His sister, who he loves, is gone forever yeah. at the drop of a dime. And that's going to really change how he thinks, like, can people really just go that quickly? Yeah. And that easily? And, and if I, I guess where I try to go to in my head is if a drunk driver hit my car and killed one of my daughters, I wouldn't give a flying fuck if his intent was to do it nope, or not. No, me neither. I would, I personally, in the moment, I would want to destroy that person mm -hmm. for taking my kid away. It's natural. Yeah. 
It's natural, but it's unnatural to feel that 44 years later. <laughs> For fuck's sake, yeah. I mean, that's like, yeah. And, yeah. and I can, you know, people process things differently. I can understand maybe being angry or having frustration with the family and stuff. Maybe in your head you rationalize, well, none of them have ever said sorry. Yeah. And this, you or just, maybe they did. Well, for, no, for sure. I'm, that's why I'm saying maybe, you know, they, yeah. they, you don't deal with pain by creating more pain. Well, that's what he did. That's exactly what he did. <sighs> he went on to tell the police that he shot the two men because he knew they were relatives of Herb McGuigan and he's no longer living. So what? He knew where they lived because he'd been making inquiries over the years. So he was this keeping tabs, yeah. absolutely yeah. planned. When he returned to Montague from seeing his brother, he stopped along the way and buried the gun. He'd thought about turning the gun on himself. He wishes he didn't do it, but if he had backed out, he would have felt like a coward. So what? He thought about getting revenge for the last five years. He suffers from depression, has been living an unhappy life. He knows what he did was wrong, but the McGuigan family won't suffer any worse than his own family has. That's not true. No, it's not true. That's not true. Vuzo referenced the incident at the Legion between his mother and a McGuigan brother who he assumed to be Brent, but was actually Ivan McGuigan. He'd murdered the wrong brother, but he didn't seem to care very much. Vuzo gave up the murder weapon, too. He took RCMP to a cornfield near Montague where he'd buried the gun, a twenty-two caliber pistol, black gloves he'd worn, ammunition magazines, and two boxes of twenty-two caliber ammunition. This area was his favorite hunting spot, so he knew it well, so he yeah, knew he could yeah. hide something there. He'd yeah. also planned that. Yeah. The bodies of Brent and Brendan were taken to Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, where pathologist Marnie Wood performed the autopsies on them. Here are highlights of her findings in 68-year-old Brent McGuigan's post-mortem. Quote, Autopsy revealed gunshot wounds to the neck, chest, and upper left extremity. The gunshot wound of the chest was the most immediately fatal due to hemopedcardium. The gunshot wound of the neck did not enter the cranial cavity. A total of six gunshot entrance wounds were present. From the body were recovered three complete bullets and one large fragment, Small fragments remain in the body. Two gunshot exit wounds were present, end quote. And in layman's terms, hemopedcardium is blood in the pericardial cavity or the sac that's around your heart. Okay. And enough blood there for enough time can interfere with the normal heart function and will kill you. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. 39-year-old mm -hmm. Brendan McGuigan's post-mortem examination also underlined the brutality of the attack. Quote, Autopsy revealed gunshot wounds to the chest, head, and upper extremities. The gunshot wounds of the chest caused the most immediately fatal injuries through exsanguination. Ooh. Bleeding to death. The gunshot wounds of the head did not enter the cranial cavity. The wounds of the arms did not injure any vital structures. A total of seven gunshot entrance wounds were present. End quote. Oh, shit. So he shot them 13 yeah. times. Yeah, he just went on a blitz. Neighbors in rural in the rural neighbors in the rural community were horrified by the news of the double murder. Peggy James told CBC News, quote, "Our neighbors are really good people and if you need help, they're there to help you," she said, "and we're shocked to know that this has happened in our yeah, neighborhood." I bet. I mean, there's only like 150 families in that area. Holy shit. Yeah. It's very tiny. Jesus Christ. Wow. Another neighbor, Pearl DeVoe, also told CBC News, 
I know they said they got somebody, but it's still, you don't know what, why or how it happened. So it's terrifying. What a, such a small community like that. That's just going to yeah. destroy a community even. Uh, yeah, exactly. Pit people against people. Taking sides. Taking sides. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brent and Brendan were memorialized at St. Paul's Catholic Church in Sturgeon, Prince Edward Island, in a joint service on Tuesday morning, five days after the murders. They were interred in the parish cemetery with many friends and family in attendance. Brent McWiggin, 68, was the father of four and a grandfather to eight. He was an active man who always had a project on the go in his garage. He loved his family, his cat Kit Kat, <laughs> and was predeceased by his beloved pug named Jigs. Oh, Kit Kat oh, and Jigs. Kit Kat and Jigs. <laughs> Brendan Patrick McWiggin was 39. He was loving husband to his wife Kim and the proud father of three... Abby, eight, Caden, six, and Mattia, only two. Kim was pregnant when Brendan died, and Kenzie was born in December of 2014. She never got to know her dad. See, now by uh, Alfie's guidelines and rules, that two-year-old should now go and murder yeah. somebody in his family. That's where that kind of shit ends up. Like, it's the Hatfields and McCoys. Like, well, it's just this long, like... That's why there's places in Sicily where people are taking revenge on each other years later. Um, yeah. For real? Yeah. This is this is kind of a thing that I've read about there. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And so like that's, yeah, like because they're as justified as Alfie was. Sure. Uh. Just like his dad, Brendan also had a pug and his name was Bossy, whom oh. he'd named after Mike Bossy, a, a hockey oh. hero of his. Brendan loved hockey. He was a lifelong New York Islanders fan and was buried in his favorite Islanders jersey. When he and Kim first started dating, they'd even had goldfish named after four popular Islanders players named Bossy, Trots, Ziggy, and Smitty. <laughs> How awesome is that? That's pretty great. I don't think the Islanders, I mean, come on. Yeah, but still. But, yeah. He encouraged his kids to play hockey and was sure his son Caden would make the NHL one day. Kim McGuigan told the Daily, uh, the New York Daily News, quote, Right from the start, when Caden was two years old, he had skates and he had a stick and he was stick handling, end quote. Yeah. Penultimate Canadian. The ultimate Canadian. Penultimate is like second from last. He's the ultimate Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> Brendan went to every game his son played and took video. The New York Daily News article also mentions that, quote, when Caden returned to the ice for the first time after losing his dad, his emotions took over when he didn't see him in his usual spot. Oh, my God. He left the rink in tears. Yeah. Uh. Members of the UPEI hockey team, the Panthers, heard of the tragedies and decided, with the help of local businesses, to raise money to send Brendan's wife and children to the Nassau Coliseum in New York for an Islanders game. Oh, my God. On January 29, 2015, the family was flown to New York where they attended an all-expenses-paid game between the Islanders and the Bruins, Caden's favorite team. You're on the East Coast, buddy. You're going to... Yeah, yeah. Brendan's favorite player, Mike Bossy, was honored by the Islanders that same night just before the game. Oh, my heart. The Bruins won 5-2, and afterward, the Islanders defenseman, Travis Hamanick took the McGuigans into the Islanders' locker room where they met the team. 
Hamannick, who lost his father at ten, would meet with kids who had lost a parent after every Islanders home game. Really? Really. Wow. Uh, a lot of NHL players give back. A lot of professional sports yeah. players give yeah. back. But NHL is what I follow, so I'm aware of that yeah. more. Like the Sedins. They yeah. love to give back. They gave, oh, they, I they, believe, $6 million to the Children's yeah. Hospital. Yeah, when they signed their new contract, uh, each of them donated $3 million. Isn't that insane? Yeah. Well, it, it's amazing. It yeah. shouldn't say it's insane, but it's... It, 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 the Sedins are just the... Uh, and the ridicule they got when they first were Canucks. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they're just... They're just... Yeah. But a lot of these players give back to the community in a big way, in ways that we don't even hear about. Yeah. So, you know, like going to hospitals, talking to kids and things like that. Yeah. Speaking to the New York Daily News after the event, Kim said, quote, People have been amazing to us, and I want everybody to know that we thank them. It's been hard to thank everybody, but where do you start? I just want the world to know what kind of person their dad was. End quote. Oh, my heart, my heart. Alfred Vuzo waived his right to a preliminary hearing in the case and chose trial by judge, eventually pleading guilty to the first-degree murder of Brent McGuigan and the second-degree murder in the death of Brendan McGuigan. At Vuzo's sentencing, the McGuigans gave tearful victim impact statements of how the murders had affected them. Brent's daughter, Brendan's sister Donna, said she was angry and so full of hate for Vuzo that it frightened her. Mm. Marie McGuigan said, You murdered my husband and my baby boy. <sighs> According to PEI's The Guardian newspaper, one member of the McGuigan family, quote, roared at Vuzo that he wouldn't be that easy on Vuzo's mother and that there wouldn't be a Vuzo left alive in Montague. Oh, Jesus. No charges were laid for these threats as they were made in the heat of the moment. But... Mm -hmm. But having what just occurred... Right. So RCMP heard that, continue to be well aware of what's going on between those two families. That's exactly what I was concerned about. Mm -hmm. The Hatfields and the McCoys. In his sentencing decision, Honorable Justice Gordon L. Campbell, not the Gordon Campbell that we know... <laughs> called the crime, quote, a horrific and cowardly act, yes. end quote. He continued, quote, it is almost incomprehensible that someone could allow their pent-up hatred and misdirected vengeance to be converted into such mindless destruction of lives. Well said. The sentence imposed on Alfred Givuzo was, quote, one, with respect to count number one, a charge of second-degree murder of Brendan Patrick McGuigan, contrary to Section 235, Paragraph 1 of the Criminal Code of Canada, imprisonment for life with parole ineligibility for 10 years. And, two, with respect to count number two, a charge of first-degree murder of Herbert Brent McGuigan, contrary to Section 235, Paragraph 1 of the Criminal Code of Canada, imprisonment for life ineligibility for parole for 25 years consecutive to the sentence imposed on count number one. The aggregate sentence is life imprisonment with no parole eligibility for 35 years. So That's I, unusual in Canada. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite, I'm curious though as to why uh, Brandon's was... Because it was second, second degree. Because degree. he had not, Vuzo did not plan to kill Brendan. He just did it because he was there. I gotcha. Whereas... The yeah. plan was to kill Brent. Yeah, who he thought was 
who he had misident- misidentified, but he as the person that was who the, had argued with his mom. But that was the intent to go was to kill. Okay, that yes. makes sense as to why one second degree. Yep. But consecutive sentencing is really rare in Canada. You usually hear mm-hmm. uh, concurrent, concurrent. Yeah. but this one was not. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where the line is. Alfred was not impressed with the length of his sentence and swore loudly at the judge and the McGuigans on hearing it. As he was let out of the courtroom, he screamed, You've sentenced me to life, and I sent them to death. Well, first off, you sentenced yourself to life mm-hmm. by committing the crime. Right. But so he's not, he's not, he's not seeming zero. at all remorseful. None. Prior to his sentencing, Vuzo indicated he was not remotely sorry for what he'd done. Oh, for fuck's sake. Call me a cold-blooded killer, but I'm not, he said at one point. He claimed that Herb McGuigan's short sentence had haunted him for all his life. He said, quote, that's all her life was worth. She only had nine years in this world and nobody cared, end quote. I, that's not, I don't think that's entirely true. The man was charged and went to jail. But yeah. the sentence was light. I, I, I get where he's coming from with that. I get the anger, but you don't... Yeah, don't kill. Oh, my God. Like the, yeah, I, I'm just repeating myself. The damage he's caused further is mm-hmm. does not negate or make up for anything he suffered. A year after the murders, Brent McGuigan's wife, Marie, spoke to reporter Charlotte McCauley from PEICanada.com. Mm. Quote, these two were innocent men and both had so much to live for, she said. Mm-hmm. Myself, Brent, and our family had nothing at all to do with the Vuzo family. I'm living a lonesome I never knew existed, end quote. It's just this circle of pain. Macaulay spoke to other family members, including Kim, Brendan's wife, and Kim said, quote, Brendan had a huge heart, and he was my best friend. He always made time to do things with the kids, and he always made it fun for them, end quote. And that's it for this week's case. Holy shit. What? Woo! Oh, there's a lot of emotions that in this one. That was a fiery one. I'm trying to be objective and see all sides and understand the pain on all sides, but... You kind of don't have to in this case, really. Well, I mean, I, it's kind of who I am at my core, so I can't really change that. I, I want to try to have... I want to try to Socialist. understand. <laughs> I want to try to understand human behavior. Yeah. But... Yeah, like I said, I want to feel sorry for him, but the way he handled things and the what he did removes my ability to feel sorry for him. Yep. He just turned out to be a piece of shit. More or less. <laughs> More or less. Yeah. No qualms about... Um, making more people go through what he went through. That's what he wanted. Yes. He got exactly what he wanted. Yeah. And he didn't care that he went to jail for, well, he did care that he went to jail for life because apparently that, that wasn't fair. To him, yeah. Isn't that bizarre? Like he thinks that that, that's where the line is and that's where it's not fair. Well, and I wonder if in his head he was expecting people to somewhat be on his side. Like I wonder if he thought. People would be like, you know, like you avenged your your sister. Good yeah. for you. Like, yeah, we're gonna what, go a little lighter on you, maybe because of what you've been through. Is that what? Is that what he? Uh, that's what he was thinking. I, it must be. Yeah. It must be because to be surprised, like you just you, you just killed two yeah. innocent people. Yep. What did you think was gonna come from that? And you turned your you're like you or you didn't turn yourself in, but you pled guilty. Like, what did you think? Yeah. What did you think? 
well, that was you shouldn't have done that, but we get it. We 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 understand, but you know, like to, don't do it again. Well, guess what? He probably won't be doing it again because he's in jail. Well, I just fucking hope that now that cycle doesn't continue and somebody else goes after his family. I doubt that will happen. Yeah, I think what they were saying was just the heat of the moment, yeah. e- emotional. People have been through enough, I believe, in this but regard I, to I this. I suspect them, like most people, a year down the road will go, well, yeah, of course I don't want to do that. That was, I was just pissed. Yeah. Typically, charges will be filed for uttering threats. But in this case, you've just heard, you know, some really horrendous things. Yeah. And. Holy Christ. Yep. (laughs) What a son of a. Let's lighten it up a little bit. Please. We'll go to uh, some voicemails. And if you want to leave us one, you can do so at 1-877-327-5786 or 1-877-DARKPTN. That's 1-877-DARKPTN. Exactly. And like we've said before, if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. Or you might not. I don't know. We get to make that call. We make that call you about do, your yeah. call. We make, yeah, call, call makings. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're crazy people. Yeah. Well, here's one. This this one looks like it's from Alberta. Oh, oh God. Let's listen to this. Hey, Mike and Scott. Uh, longtime listener here, Joey in Calgary, Alberta. I just wanted to thank you guys for the content you put out. Your research is terrific and your chemistry and banter is perfect. Don't you dare change a thing. Uh, I also wanted to thank you both for the sensitive ways you deal with uh, discussions of mental illness and addiction. As someone who fights daily with his own depression diagnosis, I appreciate how open and vulnerable you've both been in discussing your own pasts. It's uh, it's nice to know you're not alone. Keep up the good work, and as the ultimate sign of Canadian respect, fellas, I'd let you both shit in my hat. Oh wow! Well, Joey, I, I wow, that was I'm beautiful. going first though. Scott can Scott can poop on top of my poop. Well, yeah. What? I don't know how that works. That's uncomfortable. But thanks, Joey. That yeah. that means a lot because yeah. we do try to be sensitive that way. Somebody was at me on Twitter about how quote unquote woke we are. The fuck does that even mean? I don't know. How dare we be compassionate and empathetic and understanding? Yeah. Guess humans. what? I I have been like this before all this social <laughs> media stuff. This is this is kind of the way we both have been most of our lives. Isn't woke like? Don't you want to be woke? Well, I, I, I would I rather be woke than sleeping permanently. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. Yeah, I am not woke. I am just somebody who's trying to get along. Anyway. I mean, I sure I'll but, be woke. But thanks so much, Joey. That means yeah. a ton to us that you are somebody who listens because you feel that. Yeah, so. yeah. That That's so important to us. It absolutely is. Yeah. All right. Hey, Mike and Scott. Uh, this is Bill. Um, listening for a long time. You guys make my drive home um, a lot easier. I am from the uh, great state of uh, New York, from the island of Long, and the traffic here is rather ridiculous, so thank you for keeping me entertained. Uh, I just wanted to tell you guys, uh, really enjoy your show, and that um, one of the funniest things I have ever heard was uh, Stealing cabbages, um, and uh, that's about it. Oh, go shit in your hat. Yeah, did we it. did we do something about stealing cabbages? I don't remember. Man, we say a lot of shit. We say a lot of different <laughs> things. Oh dear. But uh, hey, 
an Islanders fan. He got a chuckle out of it. Right? How how uh, interesting is that for today's episode? Well, thank you. Thank you for, so much for the message. Um, here's one that looks like it's from out of country. Oh. Let's have a listen. Jackpot. Hello, Mike and Scott. My name is Shabum, but my friends and colleagues call me Shaboom. I'm from Calgary, but I'm currently in Leicester, England, completing my law degree. I'm obsessed with your podcast and listen to them every night ritually. I'm a relatively new fan, as I've only known about Dark Poutine for about six months, but I am making my way through the archived podcasts and thoroughly enjoying the content. Some of the podcasts definitely hit home, such as the Moncton RCMP Shootings podcast, as I used to work for the Calgary Police Service as an auxiliary, and hearing about an officer getting injured, or in this case, murdered, brings a scary chill to my spine. Uh, thanks for producing this quality content, and uh, both of you have a great day. Bye-bye. Shaboom. Thank you so much, Shaboom. That was really nice of you, and thank you for, for the work you did with the Calgary Police. Calling all the way from England. Right? Is it Leicester? Leicester. 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 Worcestershire sauce? It's not Worcestershire sauce. It's Leicester. But thank you for that message. Yeah, that's great. These are going great. They are going great. Did I just jinx us? Well, no, here's another one that's from out of country. So okay. let's let's have a listen. Hi, guys. This is Karen from, Karen Walsh from Ireland. I live in Gravenetter, County Kenny. I love your podcast. We listened to it for last month. Uh, it's kind of snowing here in Ireland uh, at the moment. Um have a good day. Have a good evening. Just let's uh, post on Facebook. Mind yourself. Keep us laughing and keep us keep being compassionate. Um, highly recommended by someone. I don't know who recommended to you. Recommend your podcast to me. But keep the show going. Good luck with the gig at the weekend. And then in May in Comic Crime Con in Orlando. Be kind to each other, everyone. Bye. Just go shit in your hat. Bye. Oh, that's my feet. That's my first Irish go shit in your hat. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love the accent. It's my favorite. Well, Scottish is my favorite because we're, but oh, thank you so much. This is just like getting messages from overseas. As, as, as I am half Irish, yeah. I kind of like that it a was, lot. That was great. I mean- it's really, I didn't, it, it really just, it seems dumbfounding that people from across the globe are sitting there listening to us. <laughs> well, yeah, especially because it's like, oh, wait, people from across the globe are like, actually like what we do. Yeah. <laughs> and w not to say we're not grateful for it. Oh, we're we're no. just surprised at times. We're surprised that there's, yeah. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. I could not understand your name, but thank you so, so much. <laughs> All right, let's do some Patreon shout-outs. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, oh, no no donut money this week. Well, guess who? who? Monet Terrio. Oh, thank God. you so much for some <laughs> some donut money. We I really appreciate that. This is blowing my mind every, yeah. every month. Every month. She, I think she just set it up to do a monthly thing for us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Incredibly. It really means a lot. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. We have, first up, we have Jennifer H. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where Jennifer is from, so you'd better use that little globe that I bought for you to you determine. Mean, you mean use my, my telepathic mind? Well, it, 
the globe will spin to exactly where you need it to be. And I'm, exactly. I'm certain that that's what's going to happen. You're looking somewhere oh, yeah, in Europe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. Oh, it, it, yeah, it jogged my mind. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Aswan, Egypt. Aswan, Egypt. Yeah. yeah. Wow, like the Aswan Dam. Exactly. Oh. In fact, mm -hmm. it's where she works. She works at the dam. She does. Does she, is she a dam dammer or uh No, she's an unjammy. She unjams the dam. So she's an unjammer at a dam. She's a unjam the a, dam. She's a dam unjammer. Dam unjam. She's a she's goddamn a, unjammer. She's a goddamn good dam unjammer. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So thank you, Jennifer, from Aswan, Egypt. And thank, thanks for keeping everybody from drowning in that area. We really appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. If you weren't there on jamming, devastation would follow. <laughs> Jasmine Moffat from Stonewall, Manitoba. Oh, Stonewall, Stonewall, Manitoba. I've never been to Stonewall, never Manitoba. Never even heard of it. But the, only place, the only place in Manitoba I've been yeah. actually stopped yeah. was Winnipeg. Oh, really? Yeah, I was in the peg when I drove through. Yeah, I've been to uh, Brandon, I believe. Oh. Uh, I've my, my dad was born in Winnipeg, so we used to spend some time up ah, there. there. My Google visit my Scottish grandmother. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Sarah Bernardo. Oh. From Miramac, New Hampshire. Well, oh, thank you. Miramac, that, that, that's a, a place I've heard of. Yeah. Never been to. Miramac, New Hampshire? No, I never been Interesting New last name, Bernardo. Yeah. Hopefully no relation to yeah, I was, a certain Paul Bernardo from Canada. I wanted to say something, but then I didn't, but you well, did. I, I did. So, I uh, went there. I, I'm, I'm brave. If you are, give us a call. We have questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'd love to hear from yep. you. Yep. Um, next up, we have Carol, which is spelled differently than any Carl, uh, Carl or Carol Beans. Could be Carl. Yeah. Interesting, interesting spelling. K-H-A-R-Y-L, Carol. Hmm, beans. Beans. I like beans. I know they're great. They're you know, they're magical fruit, right? And Carl Beans is from Courtney, B.C. Well, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Carl Beans. I don't know if I've ever been to Courtney, though. I think I've been there. I may have driven through, but I don't know. Next up, we have Melissa. And Just she, Melissa. No, her name is Melissa Black. Okay. And she's from Grand Ledge, Michigan. Oh. A Michigander. <laughs> I think you, that's what they call them. Would you them. have a gander at that Michigander? I do believe that's what they call them, For Michiganders, real? yes. Wow, I hope so. If they don't, they better start. Yeah, because it's a fantastic name for that. Totally. Next up, Scott has got his magic uh, globe with him again. We have Dessa Weidman. Dessa Weidman. Yeah, yeah. O Odessa? Yep. Dessa, yeah, No, yeah. not Odessa. No, but I, you, no, come on, Mike. Oh, okay. Come on, Mike. I gotcha. From Lima, Peru. From Lima, Peru. Yeah. Not Lima, like the people who in the United States pronounce that no, place. Oh, no, because that's not right. It's, it's not it's, Lima. It's They're not Lima, beans. But it could be a Lima bean. It's not. It's not. Who says? Who, who gets to say whether it's Lima or Lima? Wow, well, it's great questions. So she's from Lima, Peru. Mm -hmm. uh, does she uh, snort the Peruvian marching powder? I don't know what that is. That's uh, cocaines. It's the oh, cocaines. Oh, I don't think she does. So no. Dessa does not snort. Weidman. Isn't that the fighter's name? Chris Weidman? Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's not been doing that well. But anyway, so is she related to him? Um, she, yeah, she's she, in Peru, she though. Is. Well, that's where he goes uh, for, oh, his, gotcha. for his Muay Thai uh, training. Okay, but what does she do there? 
Uh, She's the Muay Thai teacher? No, no, no. No, don't get carried away. Okay. No, no. She just sees office management. In which particular office? Uh, the the Muay Thai office. The <laughs> office of Muay Thai. Okay. Yeah. It's government run. You're just pretending. This is, uh, don't, don't lie to our listeners like that. Mike. Okay. I won't. They, they know the truth. So next up we have Kathy. Oh, shit. I don't know where Kathy's from either. But, I do. Uh, but I think the Magic Globe will tell I us. Wow, my vision is terrible. Suntar. Suntar, where's where's that? Suntar is in Russia. Oh. Yeah. Suntar, Russia. Suntar, Russia. Sounds like we would be warm. In Soviet Russia, Suntar's you. <laughs> It sounds like it would be warm, though, doesn't it? Sun tar. Because two things, like sun is warm. And tar, freshly laid tar, is quite warm and smells fantastic. I like that smell, too. Oh, it's my favorite. You know what? Wait, I like I... tar and pavement. You know what pavement smells like? Because I used to work in civil engineering. Oh. What is it that? smells like money. money? Yeah. yeah. You know what? I, another thing I love the smell of? What's that? Urinal cakes. Jesus Christ, I love the smell of They don't those. taste very good, though. Well, yeah, I would imagine not. So thank you, Kathy, from Suntar yeah, in Suntar. Russia. Suntar. And what does she do in Suntar? Does she make urinal cakes? No, 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 she doesn't. Okay. No, she absolutely doesn't. She's a starfish painter. Painting starfish? Yeah, sometimes as they get older. Oh, they need to be recolored. Yeah, they I kind gotcha. of, they kind of, they like, fade. the colors fade. Yeah. It's like if you wash a red shirt, you know, for a, many, many and cycles. And they are like, in the water after yeah, all. Exactly. So. It's a lot of current and stuff. And so mm. her job is she goes and repaints them to their the original beautiful state. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Enjoy keep, painting your starfish. Keep up the good work. Is it a chocolate starfish? Oh, Jesus, Mike. Anyway, Jennifer, Jennifer Corsi hey, is our next patron, and she is from Toronto, Ontario. Toronto. Toronto. I love Toronto. Yeah, it's good. I really do love Toronto. Yeah, as you should, Mike. Uh, we poo-pooed Toronto for years and years I before I actually went there and found out what a great time I had, and the people are nice. I know. That's kind of what happens, eh? Yeah. yeah it's like- you Except can... unless, aside from Edmonton. Stop. No, I- I you, love Edmonton. You, you know who I'm trying to like. Every time I say something about it, he te he, he tweets me. Who? Joe. Joe Belinsky. Yeah. Belinsky. Yeah. Belinsky. Every time I mention- I keep mispronouncing Every him. time I mention, he, I get a tweet from him. <laughs> well- you're probably going to get it again. Good. I better, God damn it, because if he's not listening to this part of the show, then <laughs> then there's trouble brewing, Joe. Next up, we have Jen Hollywood, and oh. she is from Santa Barbara, California, which is unusual. You'd think she would be from- Hollywood? Yeah, but- yeah. What a- This just- like Can that be my name? Scott Hollywood? What? Doesn't that sound great? Yeah. You Scott know what they Hollywood. used to call me when I worked in the movie business? Hollywood Mike? No, downtown. Downtown Mike Brown. That beautiful. that was that was my name downtown. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Hollywood's on the case. But you know what else? Uh, what other nicknames I've had? Uh, Leroy. Leroy Brown. Bad, bad Leroy. Oh Brown. Jesus. Yeah, and Bingo. 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 Yeah, I was drunk and yelled Bingo at him into a Bingo <laughs> all the time. You've had nicknames. Scooter. People call you Scooter. Yeah, Martin still calls me Scooter. Uh, when I played rugby, I was uh, called Pee Wee. Yes. Because I'm. You can because the I'm, ball's as big as you are. Because I'm petite. I was petite. Um, that's about it, really. Scooter and the. Uh, oh, I got because the Hemingway. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to get called hemorrhoids a lot. Oh yeah. yeah. Michael Michael motorcycle was me. 
And also because I had buck teeth, it was yeah. like, uh, oh yeah, beaver cleaver and uh, woodchuck, woody woodchuck. I got I got Dumbo a lot because I had big ears. They're, now they're just normal ears, but this guy grew into them. Yeah. So I got Dumbo a lot. Well, anyway, back to what we were doing. Oh, Thanks, yeah. Jen Hollywood <laughs> from Santa Barbara, California. You better be a, like an actress. Maybe she is. With a name like Hollywood. Could be. Uh, next we have someone whose name is Gina Day. What a great name. And she's from Austin, Texas, y'all. Oh, man. I do want to go to, I do want to go to Austin. Well, I want to go to South by Southwest at some point. Oh Maybe next year our podcast They'll will go there. invite us? Well, we oh, may sh- apply to go. Oh, my God. That might be a thing. And you know what? I have a cousin in Austin, Texas. Is and we could stay at Vinny? his, stay at his place. No. Yes. My cousin Bruce and Sue. That is brilliant. And last up, we have Jessica Roberto. Yeah. Don't worry, Gato, Jeff, Jessica Roberto. No, oh, she's sick of that. That's, yeah, Don't worry, Gato is thank yeah. you. Yeah, Jessica thank Roberto. Thank you very much, Mr. Roberto. Miss, Ms. Roberto. Yep, Don't Miss Roberto. Okay, so where is Ms. Roberto from? Or? Oh, Grosso, Brazil. Oh, Grosso, Brazil. Yeah, Grosso, Brazil. Yeah. Oh, Brazil. Yeah. Does she know Spider? Anderson? Yeah. No, no, she doesn't know Spider Anderson. Anderson the Spider Silva. No. no? no. Okay, that sucks. No, but she admires him a yeah, lot. everybody does. Everybody does in Brazil. And Helen, in me as well. And so what does she do there in Brazil? Oh, okay. So she, uh, you know that uh, in Rio... I know it's not where she lives, but it's where she works. You know, that's that Jesus statue in Rio. Oh, right. Yeah. She cleans his nose hairs. No, no, my, you're not real. She um, is authorized mm-hmm. to shoot down anybody who tries to climb on it. Wow. Yeah. So she's like a Jesus security guard. Yeah, that's exactly what she is. It actually but, says that on her shirt. Wow. Yeah. Jesus security. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 And no offense to anybody who's Christian out there, because that's that's not the intent of this conversation. No, no. But uh, some- It's a job, man. Yeah, exactly. It's just a job. Yeah, she's well, authorized to just- Domo arigato, Jessica Roberto. Yeah. There you go. I Domo. thought she was going to be from Domo. Japan. Domo. Yeah, but... you did think that, but no. No. So that's it. Thank wow. you to all our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. Anybody who- uh, sent us donut money over the past uh, little while or ever. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine or for one-time support, you can send us donut money at PayPal via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. Well, as we've learned from Monetario, it doesn't have to be one time. No, (laughs) you can set up a monthly thing there. If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us. If you subscribe to the show, you can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. You can easily rate us on podchaser.com. We're still doing pretty well there. Sweet. It's like IMDb for podcasts. Check out our website, darkproutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please give us a follow or a like on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly... And I've changed this up a bit because I realized the most important thing is to thank everybody for listening. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you for listening. Thank you. And if you would, please tell your friends about us. We appreciate it. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. The most powerful. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple like this guy we talked about this week.
Twat waffle. Yeah. A murderous twat waffle. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.